We are the Wanderers of Western Sydney. Hello, I'm Tim Gilbert, a Western Suburbs boy from Guildford and a proud fan. Welcome to our podcast. This is the place to come to hear all the stories from our wonderful football club. Players, coaches, managers, fans. Our featured Wanderers will come in all shapes and sizes and diverse backgrounds. We are a strong club that is on the move and our people have rich and gripping stories to tell. Welcome. Great to have you along for the ride. Today's Wanderer is Ian Crook. We are the Wanderers of Western Sydney and our Wanderer today is our Academy Technical Director, Ian Crook. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. On a nice, cold, wet day. Yeah, it must remind you of home. <laughs> Very much so. Well, let, let, let's start there. Let, let's start in London, growing up in the 60s and 70s. Give, give us a bit of an insight. Uh, yeah, look, it was it was enjoyable. I, lo- I loved every minute of my childhood. It was, you know, my mother and father wasn't blessed with, um, we say, a, a lot of stuff. We, we lived in a council home. I, I call that housing here. Is it council housing or whatever here? I'm not too sure what it's called. But, yeah, and, and enjoyed my time and loved playing football, cricket, everything that, all Englishmen are probably not too great at, but loved loved every minute of it. Yeah, well, growing up in, in yeah what we call a housing commission home in London, football, soccer, you don't need to be a royal or a wealthy individual or have grown up in a family where silver spoons were handed out to enjoy this game, to get good at this game and to thrive at this game. Where, where, where did that early love Hit you. Really, truthfully, just what you're actually saying there is, is, is so true um, because I learned mine playing out on the road out the front of my mum and dad's, uh, which was like a, it was like a masonette, what we call a masonette, like four flats and all my mates in the different streets mm. and we'd come around and play play in the road. Um, that, that was where our, our love was and, you know, the most popular player in the street was the one that had a ball on that particular week. Um, <laughs> so we got burst or, uh, you know, and even if he wasn't a great player, it always seemed to be the poor, poor players were the ones that had, had the equipment that we could use, which was ball, basically. And the rest of us would just then tag along and let him play. And it was, yeah, so it was that. And, and literally over the park with, with your mates and that, you know, so it wasn't, you, you didn't have to spend anything. And that was the, that was a benefit. You have a big part in, in, in the development and young lives coming through the game. That is part of the reason why this is the beautiful game, isn't it? That, that it's part of the reason why this is such a fantastic sport. Yeah, look, I'm a lover of all sports. I think that, that that's something that always, I've always loved sport. And I think anyone that's fortunate to, to, Go ahead in whatever sport they have and have a career. They, they have a love of, of sport itself. But for me, yeah, I'm going to be biased and say that, you know, it is truly the world game. It's the only game that's played basically everywhere. And it's such an easy game. You know, you just need basically two, two jumpers, which was what we used or over the park and, and a ball. That was it. You don't need any markings or anything. It was, you know, and I, I just love it. I love the game because of what it can give people, especially in England. It's very much a middle to lower class sort of game where, you know, rugby and hockey and things like that are more and, and cricket are more your upper class, you know, union and more your upper class sort of games. What about when, as a working class teenager, you turned up and got a deal with Tottenham Hotspur. That must have been extraordinary, not only for you, but the whole family. Yeah, it, it was. It, it was even more extraordinary considering I was a West Ham supporter, so that made it um, <laughs> and that made it quite difficult. We've been, been brought up sort of in 
really in West Ham territory. But, but yeah, look, it was it was just a massive uh, a massive thing. It was only a year at the on the outset, and it was a, on the old apprenticeship scheme, which was literally sixteen pound a week, and we started eight o'clock in the morning and at Spurs, which meant me leaving mine at about twenty to six. I think I used to catch the twenty to six bus and get home at about eight thirty at night. And 90% of your stuff was basically cleaning boots, washing kit, uh, or not actually washing it, physically washing it yourself, but getting the kit washed. And, you know, once a week that was, the rest of the time it got hung up on dryers and cleaned different rooms and uh, in the stadium and uh, looked after, basically looked after first team players. That was more your job to feed them tea and, and look after their, their kit and that. All that we wanted to do was just get to the position where where the first team players were, where we were the ones that were being looked after by other apprentices. And what was it like when that happened for you, having done the hard yards? Because a lot of people don't see that. A lot of people don't see those early days. I, I know even in my media career, no one saw me in Goulburn scraping ice off the windscreen with a car yeah. that wouldn't go backwards. It's like they don't see <laughs> that side of your career, do they? Because um, no. you, you know, but it makes it all more worthwhile when you do get there. Yeah, of course. I mean, everybody, and rightly so, they see a big house, a nice car, and uh, all the, the the things that go with it, and trips overseas. But God, that wasn't certainly wasn't the case. You know, if it wasn't for my granddad, I'd never have got to Spurs each each day because because uh, I didn't actually have enough money to to get in uh, to the training each week. So it was my granddad used to pay for my monthly ticket. To, to get on the train, you know, two trains and, and a couple of buses. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to get there. So, yeah, it, it makes you, I think, a little bit more grateful when you actually get there. So when it was actually offered to me, I think Spurs at, the, at that time then offered me a two-year deal after I'd done the first year of the apprenticeship. Yeah, going from, as I say, £16 a week, I think, to about £300 was like I'd, I'd won lottery. And Well, it was your grandfather, wasn't it, that actually got you the opportunity to get to the games, wasn't it? Or get to the get to the place you needed to work. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know, as I, as I say, I needed two buses, um, you know, a couple of trains to get to White Hart Lane from, from Romford and, or from Collier Row. And as I say, my granddad hadn't actually given me, I, think it was, I don't know why, but I've, well, feeling it was like a yearly ticket. It was like £80 pounds for, the, for the whole year to get on the train. And, uh, yeah, obviously I didn't have that money and nor did my mum and dad so you know my granddad looked after me with that otherwise yeah could have been well been uh doing something totally different now they must have been enormously proud of you when you when you hit the big time so to speak I, i'm sure they were i'm sure he was you know it was unfortunate didn't get to probably see enough of it passed away and uh, not long after we'd we'd actually i'd been married and i don't think at that time yeah i'm sure i'd made yeah i'd made my debut but but certainly uh, hadn't moved to Norwich when he passed away, so but I'm sure he got some enjoyment out of it while he was still around. What about Norwich? Because that's where it really started to happen for you. It was your Broadway act and over 400 games, Hall of Fame, an extraordinary time. Yeah, look, I, I just think I was fortunate to, to be involved at a, a club that was just on the rise. It was a good time. We, you know, I remember when I left Spurs to go there, I think, you know, Steve Bruce had just been signed from Gillingham and uh, um, and then myself and then Brian Gunn came in and from Aberdeen and, and I think they did a newspaper article and said that we was a team of what would be the Premier League then, the first first division misfits and uh, third and fourth division, mm. you know, also rans. Yeah, we just, it, it come together and I think we finished fifth 
uh, so the team had got promoted and when I signed and we finished fifth and it just it just went from there and was really really fortunate it had great coaches managers should I say and more managers and people that had a good eye for for players and was able to put a group of what we'd call probably misfits together and, and make them successful well tell us about the success that you had because a lot of people listening to us today won't be completely aware of what went down in that period. Of course, we're talking to Ian Crook, mm. our technical director at the Western Sydney Wanderers Academy today. Look, I, th- I think what people have to understand, they probably see Norwich now and, you know, Norwich finished bottom of the Premier League this year and after winning the comp last year, uh, the championship last year, and they've been perennial up and down as over the past probably 10 to 15 years. But yeah, fortunately, in the time that I was there, I think the 10 years, uh, 12 years we had, uh, the 12 years I was there, 11 of the years were the highest positions the club had ever finished in the top level. Two FA Cup semi-finals, which right now doesn't seem like a big thing, but back then everybody took it very seriously. We had a, a European Cup run, we're still the only Norwich City side to ever get into Europe. Yeah, there was, you know, as I say, we finished third, third, fourth, fifth and in the league during that period. and. Yeah, it was just a, a really successful time. And yeah, we didn't win masses of trophies <laughs> during that period, but there's different forms of success. You know, Man United are expected to trophies deems that they've been successful, the same as a Liverpool and maybe even, you know, overseas a Juventus and that. But I suppose it would be a little bit like, a, I don't know, a, a, a Bologna, for instance, in Italy, constantly finishing mm, yep. in the top four or five uh, and challenging every year uh, and then the same probably in a Spain like a, an Alaves challenging every year um, you know so it was it was a special time and as I say I was fortunate that I, I played with good players and we just had a real good real good mix at the time. Yeah and rarefied air as you say you, you, like you're talking about a competition which was so strong give us a bit of an insight into those players you played against and uh, some of the names, because they were extraordinary, mm. famous names in this game. Yeah, I mean, look, Liverpool at that time, were the, the time that we played Liverpool, they were, you know, they were the kings of, of Europe. They had won three out of five or six with the likes of Soonis and Rush and Dalgleish uh, in, in their side and Alan Hansen, just, just to mention some, you know, John Barnes and... Peter Beersley's were then coming after, but Liverpool were were just kings of Europe. You know, they were regarded by everybody as being the best club side. And and arguably, I, I'm going to say now, I, I still argue with people now to say it was arguably Liverpool's greatest side. So that was, you know, that they was an extremely good side. And and then you know you had there was just at them, at them times there was still the difference in the money, like you know. Man United was still, although it's not the millions that they spend now, it was still millions that they were spending then. I mean, Gary Pallister, I think Alex Ferguson signed Gary Pallister and at the time he made his debut, I think, against us and we beat him 2-0 at Old Trafford and I think they paid 2.2 million, which is peanuts now. But that was probably the equivalent of maybe 60 to 70 million now for a centre-half. So, you know, and they then signed Steve Bruce and, and then they became that dominant force, you know, with... Brian Robson and Roy Keane and Paul Lintz and, uh, you know, they pipped us. Eric Cantona, they, I always say we, we, we should have won the Premier League in its first, its first ever year, its first ever year of inception. 
which was 93. I think there was six games to go. We were top um, playing Man United at home. And I think if we'd have won that night and we'd have, I think, gone four or five clear, you know, we'd beaten Aston Villa the previous week, who were third at the time. So, and we got beat. And that's it. And we, and basically, I think we, we didn't realise how close we were at that stage. I don't think anybody really realised it. I think if we'd have knuckled down a little bit better and taken it, you know, I'm going to say sounds terrible, but we we really did have a, a, a really good group. that had We had good fun together as a group and played hard yeah. and worked hard. But uh, I don't think we ever realised how close we were just then. I don't think we expected to win it. Yeah, quite often in life you never do, do you? In, in, in most instances, no. until about ten years on, how close you may have been yeah. to something. What, what, what about what about some of those personalities? Do, do any stand out? Do any stand? Any individuals? Any individual incidents that uh, happened at that time? Oh, I mean, look, it, it, you kind of go through different phrases. The English game then was, although Liverpool, there was you know Liverpool Spurs and that were and and I'll say at Norwich we 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 played some great football the likes of West Ham as well but at that time I mean probably the height of my career Wimbledon came into into the equation and the crazy gang and that was a fairly daunting thing to see you know Vinnie Jones and um fashion they was they was a group that I can tell you now would have probably competed with the Sydney Roosters they were they were a mm. monstrous group strong powerful um you know and I remember we played one game and I think we had a I had a midfield partner called Jerry Goss who who was great made made really good forward runs and constantly constantly were getting the box and he was very very difficult to mark and obviously you know Vinnie Jones knew this and I think there was about seven minutes into the game and I just heard this kind of slapping like noise, like, you know, people will appreciate it when they know what I'm going to, when, when I say it, but I heard this and I turned and Jerry was just poleaxed on the floor and Vinny had just given him a right hook when he went to make a forward run and just given him a right hook and he, he turned around to me and he went, tell him when he wakes up, he went, he won't make any more. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, so you couldn't get away with it these days. You just couldn't. Couldn't no. get away with it. There would have been there would have been so many cameras there that would call it, and you know probably be doing, mm. you know, out of, out of band for six months. You know, it was it was great players. It was it was tough. We we had different strengths to to Wimbledon, but they were they were an exceptional group. To be fair, and, and to represent your country in that second side must have been a moment for you. Yeah, it was a bit of a weird one. I yeah, I got a two or three different call ups during the time and. Yeah, it probably just didn't feel fit at the right time for me in regards to a lot of stuff. It never, it, funny enough, it never had a way at me uh, about the England stuff. I think Terry Venables included me in England. I'd got my England B cap back uh, under Graham Taylor when Graham Taylor was the England B team manager. But he, you know, he was more of a direct talk, sort of player and uh, or a direct sort of coach, which didn't particularly suit suit my way of playing. And so, yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I, I got named in, as I say, Terry Venables named me in squads when I was during that the time when we was in our pomp at Norwich, and that ninety sort of two in ninety three and around there. Um, and then I, I picked up two squads I was named in. I picked up injuries that that kept me out of them, and it just wasn't meant to be. But as I say, it's not. You know, there was other there was players that were better than me at the time around, and and also better suited to maybe the way that. Graham Taylor at the time wanted to play, so I, I loved. Yeah, you take some pride. Doesn't matter what 
it is what level you play for your country to to have that benefit of putting on an England shirt and that and get a cap for it. And and at the time, which I didn't realise, I played alongside Craig Johnston, who who yeah. I've now met out here, obviously, and uh, and played against Craig a lot over there. So and we played in the same game that day. So oh yeah, well look, uh, you just have to go to your Wikipedia page and and, and look at it. It's been a, a glittering time in this game, and and it all started. Uh, in those, you know, very working class conditions in London. What, what about what about moving on from there to Japan? What was Japan like? It's an amazing place. Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm afraid of the first time I went there, which was as a player, I was your typical Brit abroad, if I'm going to be honest about it, and say that, you know, didn't really take on the culture of the whole place. You know, I'd I'd never left in, or I'd left England to to go and visit, but but n- never obviously played abroad. Uh, had a couple of opportunities, but hadn't done it up till then. And I didn't really embrace it enough. I did when I went back there and coached, but it's a great place. The, the, I had, had a great time there. I, Jesus, I met Arnie and, and Popper there, so which has changed, you know, my whole sort of life from, from there. And, and then, you know, played with players like Moriyasu, who's now the Japanese national team coach. And it was, Japan was just going through that stage then where there was well, World Cup winners here, Dunga, Zico, you know, and people like Toto Scalacci, you know, uh, players that had, you know, as I say, Sampaio, that, that were legends, Bagheeristine, who, it, it was just, yeah, it, you know, massive, Gary Lineker, Arsene Wenger, um, they was just building. Yeah, and it was, it was, as I say, I had a year there, and maybe if I'd have, yeah, embraced it a little bit more, I mean, the club offered me another year, but, I took, chose to to come here to Australia back then, but maybe it's probably something I I probably should have should have stayed another year. I think that's twenty years ago. Northern Spirit does it seem two <laughs> yeah. decades ago? And tell us about it. God no, no, jeez. I know we was talking about this with with uh, with my son and that the other the other day, and yeah, jeez, twenty two years ago. It's, it's scary. That, yeah, it's it's another lifetime ago. But you know, I remember that, you know it's brilliant. Northern Spirit and Arnie. You know, starting it all up, and Robbie Slater obviously coming back as well. You know, I I never forget. He was we was flying. Everybody was coming to visit us at the time from from England, and North Sydney Oval was was brilliant. It was packed. You know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand, whatever was was in there, packed. And and I never forget. A mate of mine came out. And I can't remember who we played on the particular night, but I got up in the Molly Dive Bar afterwards, and I said, "What do you think?" And he went, "Mate, you got a cricket wicket in the middle of your field." And I went, yeah, what about the, the, what about the, the, the stadium? How nice is it? And how good is the view? He went, no, no, you've got a cricket wicket in the middle of your pitch. He went, what's happening? And he couldn't, he couldn't get it. He couldn't get it around his, you know, even though we were sitting on this, you know, and I'm arguably going to say one of the greatest views ever where you just look down from what was the, the, the stand and look down and see the opera house and the harbour bridge and, on a beautiful balmy Sydney night, and he's going to me, but you got a cricket wicket in the middle of your football pitch. That's cold. <laughs> oh, so, and, and to think of the yeah. and to think of the history around that ground, like some of the the bobstand that all brought across from the old Sydney cricket ground. That's so, right, Sydney, so steeped yeah. in history that oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, look, yeah. that 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 time and and the two decades since you you obviously fell in love with this place and, and made it your home. Yes, yeah, and it's it's been, a, it, although in that time I've, you know, gone and coached in England, I've gone and coached back at Norwich mm. and and loved both experiences and, 
actually left to come back didn't didn't <laughs> didn't get the sack at either place which is unusual actually left of my own fruition but my family stayed here uh, even when we went, when I went back to coach at Norwich you know my wife stayed here with with my with my son eldest one was actually back in London at the time but he then moved back um before the start of the second year there so I had all my yeah, my family's always used Australia as a base and, and loved it. My yeah, I couldn't move my wife now if I wanted to and yeah, it's um you know, even during the success at Norwich at coaching when I worked with Paul Lambert and we had the promotion and the club offered us new three year deals, the myself, Ian Culver the other coach and, and Paul Lambert, you know, my wife said I'm I am i can not I'm not moving back. So it was kind of one of them where, you know, yeah, family was more important than that. So it's be, Australia's become home. It's, it's our home now. Yeah, not a bad place to uh, be domiciled in. It's a, it's a fair joint. And <laughs> no, look, it certainly you've isn't. done some amazing things here. Yeah, look, but and I want to talk about the academy and the Wanderers and the great setup that we've got. But I do have to ask you about yeah. coaching Del Piero at that time at the FC. Mm. Uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. And for anyone who didn't know, the game of football, they quickly realised that one yeah. of the you know the greatest players of the modern era was yeah. in the game. Yeah, look, Alessandro, and I'm I'm going to also say Dwight York in in year one yeah, Dwight, when I was at Sydney yeah. FC changed the I think changed the landscape of the game during that time. I I remember back Dwight, we we did our first ever training session at, at Sydney FC, and uh, I was assisting obviously Pierre Litbarski at the time, and. And we had Channel 7 and Channel 9 and then 10 helicopters flying over the top. And I think there was loads of different interviews that was going on that day. And I remember some of the cricketers were outside. And I'm talking about the likes of Brett Lee, I think, were out there being interviewed. And, and Dwight came out of the changing room and everybody just went poof to Dwight. It was, it was just like, wow, we've now, we've now kind of arrived as a, as a game because it. Yeah, him and all his bling as well. Being, I remember that. He, yeah, he was the perfect fit. And then Alessandro came then at a time where I think, obviously, it had started to wane a little bit then. I was fortunate to be in the position of being the, the coach there at the time. And, and he, he was brilliant for, for our game. He, he just pushed the profile again to another level. And both of them, what I will say is, both of them two guys were brilliant pros, which you expect them to be because they don't get to the level that they do. Everybody talks about all night Dwight. And yeah, Yorkie did love a night out, but nobody trained harder than Dwight. You can ask any single Sydney FC player. He, he did more than any one of them in any training session. And the, but the two of them were, were just gentlemen as well. They were, you know, I'd known Dwight because I played against him in, in England and both him and Alessandro were you know, Alessandro was just such a top, top guy. And, you know, it's a privilege to actually, you know, whenever I do walk away from this, to turn around and say that I had the the opportunity and the good fortune to have coached two players like that was, was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And, yeah, I think about 90, 90 caps for Italy, just an extraordinary yeah. player, and Dwight York as well. And, yeah, yeah. yeah he was just the showman. And I, I was one of those people probably that was interviewing him in the early days because he, he captured the imagination of the of the whole of the Australian media. Now, let's look, talk yes. uh, to the Academy. Let's talk to the Wanderers because we've got such a great yeah. setup, don't we? It, it really is world class. Yeah. yeah, look, I think, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have seen a lot of 
a lot of training grounds over the years and and this is I, I've not I must admit the one thing I've not been to any of the AFL uh, grounds as in terms of their training setups so I'm maybe doing them a disservice but I'd, I'd hard to find I'm going to say that probably die my sword here to say that this is the best training complex in the country by a mile you know the amount of fields the quality of the fields the the setup is just yeah it's as it's as close to Europe as you're as you're ever going to get to or you know it's it's just a fantastic area for for our coaches and our players to sort of learn from uh, learning you know great environment now you, you've you've just had a, a great knack and, and maybe it was your upbringing that working class upbringing that meant that you're a good communicator you've had a really good way with young people bringing them through the game what what, what do you want to achieve through the academy over the next few years i've always said you know that our we have, I have a slide that I put up every year from day one of that we started this academy and the presentation where it says Western Sydney Wanderers Academy creating future leaders beyond football talent. And I think that's something we want to create or I would like the thing that I really want to create is people that can go out in our society and be great individuals, top individuals, whether that's first and foremost as a football player. That's, that's our ideal. Would we love to be producing five, six, seven every single year that go into our first team, 100%. That's utopia. Realism is that it, it doesn't actually happen like that. But mm. I want, what I want, what is possible is to send out every year 10 to 15 to 20 great individuals in whatever walk of life yeah. they decide to go off into, that, they, that they've gone away from our football club, however long they've spent here, as a better individual, you know, football's our main priority. Well, I'm not going to lie. We we want to, you know, my job's not going to rely on having nice guys walk out of this football club. It's going to rely on getting people up to the to the first team. But I still think we have a responsibility to, to the Western Sydney community as a whole, the football community as a whole, and then, you know, just society to produce, you know, good individuals that can go out there and, and as I say learn from their time here at our football club. Yeah, and if they do have the ability, if they do have that intersection of uh, inspiration and perspiration and make it, they become better players as well because they are better people. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a great motivation to have. What about the Women's World Cup? Isn't that exciting, 2023? And, and the game is growing yeah. exponentially. Yeah, I think, look, that, that's been it's, been... it's been brilliant. I think there was the massive disappointment of losing out on, on the World Cup, the Men's World Cup sitting up waiting to hear that and when Qatar got it. And so to get the Women's World Cup is a, is a fabulous thing. I, I, I think, you know, you only need to see, uh, I've been sitting there watching the telly with my wife reliving the Olympics in, in the 2000 Olympics here and, well, yeah. and how great that was, what a spectacle that was. My Both my sons are... Uh, played union all through their life and so when the Rugby World Cup was here and, and how well this country puts on major sporting events for me it's you know I'm sure we'll succeed in producing a brilliant Women's World Cup and I that just needs to be the for me the springboard to show the world that really the World Cup needs to come here it's the one event that we haven't got uh, or that we haven't had um, and Okay, Asia have had it in, in regards to Japan and Korea. You know, the Oceania region hasn't had that. Uh, the senior, and it's the only part of the world I think that hasn't. So 
Mm. I think if the women's if the women's World Cup can succeed, and I'm sure it will, uh, and be a massive hit, then I think that will lead nicely in it. You know, for maybe when I'm sitting old, haggard somewhere in Sydney, <laughs> that I'm sitting here and watching watching the World Cup here, that Men's World Cup, I think that would be brilliant. Yeah, we can sit together. And so you did touch on something <laughs> which would have made you very happy and, and and us not happy was the Rugby World Cup and the way it finished and that field goal of Johnny Wilkinson. <laughs> I know that would have made you yeah. happy, but, uh, oh, goodness gracious, yeah, it broke our heart. It was, it was a yeah, tough one to watch. Yes. That it, you would have yeah, loved yeah, it. Look, well, look, I, I didn't watch it. I've got to be honest with you. I actually went out. Oh. I couldn't watch it. My, my missus and kids were, and I, I got in the car and I drove around and then she, she literally rung me and went, we've won, we've won. And I, I, I got straight home and I'll never forget. I flicked the telly on and on Fox, it was on the replay and I watched the whole thing. Yeah. Then. <laughs> but yeah, no, oh. no guts to watch anything like that. <laughs> yeah, my greatest World Cup moment of that year was the semi-final when the Wallabies beat the All Blacks. But we do digress. Yes. I'll wrap it up here. But look, do you see that? Look, and and obviously there's a lot more uh, of your career left. But do you see this wonderful synergy of where life began for you in in, in the working class streets? And here you are, quintessentially Western Sydney's working class. I know mean, where I grew up as one of six kids in Guildford. That's why I, yeah. what I love about the place. And every time I go back, is that you know these are the real people of Australia. Yeah, look, look, it's easy to say now because, you know, because I'm here, but I can I can honestly say the lifeblood of our game is is in Western Sydney. You know, it is. The eastern suburbs can say whatever they like and, and that, it, but the, our football, soccer, whatever you, whichever way you want to call it out here, the, the, it's, its roots are embedded in Western Sydney, you know, I think it's it is it's a working class background. It's it's somewhere that's on the rise and 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 you know long may it continue. But but it certainly is somewhere that's it's very close to to how it was for me growing up. Uh, I'm probably saying it's probably a little bit nicer than where I grew up, but but uh, but yeah, it's it's got so many similarities. We are the wanderers of Western Sydney, Ian Crook. Thanks for being our wanderer. Thank you very much. Much appreciated, Tim. For more information on the club, visit wswanderersfc.com.au. We will be back soon with another story from one of our Wanderers of Western Sydney.